0: Welcome to the AERA Learning Environments SIG podcast. At a time when our world is engulfed with a global pandemic, it is important that as academics and researchers, we continue to network and share our wisdom and knowledge. Your learning environment, SIG, is an important vehicle to promote our field of research. So join us in this podcast to welcome your host, Dr. Paul Ryken, who is a principal of a large college in South Australia and a research fellow with Curtin University in Western Australia.
1: Certainly welcome to podcast number two for our AERA SIG 120 Learning Environments and we're so um, happy to have with us today uh, Catherine Martin Dunlop who is talking to us from the west coast of the US which uh, so tell us a little bit about where you are uh, Catherine uh, and what made you shift from Baltimore on the east coast to the west coast. (laughs)
0: Okay, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Thank you very much for the invitation to be on your podcast, especially in position number two. I just wanted to, you know, during the very difficult times of COVID during the summer of 2020, wanted to be closer to family. And uh, I'm a Canadian citizen, although I have dual citizenship. So after 10 years of being on the East Coast in Baltimore, Maryland, you know, New York, New York, Took the journey across the country and settled in Washington State, which is right up close to the Canadian, well, it's right next to the Canadian border in a little town called Bellingham, which is north of Seattle. Most people know where Seattle is, but for me, it's only half an hour to cross the border. When am I allowed to cross the border and visit my family in Canada? So that was the main reason, you know. During difficult times, it makes you realize the important things in life and uh, things yet to be done. So made made the trip, sort of back home.
1: Fantastic, and and of course you you've also set up now a new part of your working life going forward, um, having retired from your position uh, where you were previously at Morgan State. So tell us how you got to Morgan State and 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 how that unfolded. <laughs>
0: Sure, sure. Well, uh, my husband had a very unique opportunity in Washington, D.C., which is very close to Baltimore. And I was looking for a change. And then I found Morgan State University, which was well and is a very interesting place to work. It's a historically black college and university, which I honestly had never heard about because we don't have them on the West Coast, but they're very common on the East and in the uh, Southern parts of the states. And I thought, well, talk about a unique learning environment. This is going to be very interesting and is strictly a science education program for doctoral students. So it was an excellent match. And I was at Morgan State University. I started in the fall of 2011. And I was there for nine years. And as I said, science education programs. So my students were all practicing science teachers and they were coming back to get a master's or in most cases, a doctoral degree. So they were looking for leadership positions. And I did that for, I was there for nine, but the last three years before I did semi-retire from the university system, I was in faculty development. And I founded their first uh, Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. So that was something I always wanted to do, just reach more and more uh, people. In this case, they're still students, they're faculty, they're professors, colleagues, but still reach more. And uh, that was a very challenging, interesting, and fulfilling job for the last three years at Morgan State.
1: Yeah. And Catherine, um, your passion is biology or or, um, or the, the, in the sciences in particular. And tell us a little bit about your journey that led up to that. Were, were you a teacher? How, how did you get involved in science education?
0: Sure, sure. Well, it's, uh, a long story, interesting, I think, but I'll, I'll make it uh, a brief, but I will say I've been in education for, well, let's just say over 35 years, and I began actually in outdoor settings like parks, aquariums, so the learning environment was already existing out there wasn't the classroom. I always felt comfortable in the outdoors, so I had a career in what you know some people call informal science or environmental science education. And then I got into the classroom, into high school biology, environmental science, and I taught the, those subjects in my hometown in British Columbia, Canada. Then I had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong and I was there for two years. And um, that's where I met my husband, rock climbing on a cliff in Hong Kong. And he, he was from California. So then I taught for a while in schools in California before I decided to go back to school myself. You know, your podcast, Lifelong Learning. Well, Yeah, I believe in lifelong learning. It's just in my bones. So I returned to university and got a master's degree at University of Southern California. And then my PhD in science education at Curtin University, both in science education. So, as I said, over 35 years in education, but always focused on the science, environmental science, marine biology.
1: Uh, Catherine, I'm really intrigued on how you got to catch up then in linking your PhD studies with Curtin University and, in spe- and specifically with Barry Fraser. So tell us that story. How did that connection come together?
0: Well, at the time, Uh, Before I worked at Morgan State University, my first university setting was California State University in Long Beach, and I was a full-time lecturer. And I was able to get that position with a master's degree. But I realized, gee, I kind of like teaching these big kids, (laughs) these (laughs) adults. And so I realized, okay, I've got to go back to school again. But I don't want to give up this good job. A lecturer is similar to an assistant professor. So like these things often are, it was just uh, I heard from another student in California who was also working on her PhD uh, at Curtin University about this program. And I went, wow, that sounds great. I can keep my full-time job at Cal State Long Beach. I can do some research right in my own classroom. And because quite honestly, I had not heard about the learning environments field until I found Curtin University and then met Barry Fraser. So it was just you know, good luck. So I started in 2001 at Curtin University.
1: Yes, yeah, it's fantastic, and of course, Lots of things that happened in 2001, a very um, significant year. Um, now 20 years on from there, you, you know, you, uh, you've you traveled so far in academia and of course in learning environment. So your connection to the American Education Research Association and specifically, you know, SIG 120 learning environments were just really part of the journey, weren't they? When you were doing your doctoral studies and then um, moving on from there.
0: Yes, yes, no, you're, act- you're absolutely right. And you pinpointed the fact that, you know, Curtin University and Barry Fraser and the learning environments field because he had established the SIG with AERA. I mean, it was, you know, that was just an expectation. You would go to the conference and present your your thesis or dissertation, which I did. I was just looking back. Well, when was that? And uh, 2004 was the first time I went to AERA and I hadn't quite finished my thesis, but I still presented my work. And uh, would you like to hear the title of my dissertation? Yeah, I would
1: love to hear your title. What was the title, Catherine?
0: (laughs) (laughs) These are very impressive titles. Uh, It really was, I think, I don't know if Barry would agree, a couple of dissertations in one, but it was Perceptions of the Learning Environment, Attitudes Towards Science, and Understandings of the Nature of Science Among Prospective Elementary Teachers in an Innovative Science Course.
1: Beautiful. And I can already begin to look at specific things like attitudes. So one would need a tool to use to capture perceptions. And and yeah. here comes that big story, which I think has been such a great uh, asset to our SIG of using those amazing tools that we've learned over time that have been developed to capture the perceptions of people, haven't they? So. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. You know, the surveys are really the backbone. I would mm-hmm. say, learning environment field. Mm-hmm. And what is so wonderful about them is, you know, they're in statistical terms, they're very valid and they're reliable. You can use them with confidence. Mm-hmm. Many other researchers, thousands of students, have used these tools, these surveys, and we keep you know, modifying them, developing them for new contexts, translating them into new languages, whatever needs to be done. So, it's a a I don't think there's any other field that has such a strong backbone. I think as mm. learning environments in terms of of these surveys,
1: Catherine, you've been very um, important in, you know, in these meetings, these annual meetings we have. All. Across the country and in the U.S., um, and you've held, you know, positions of chairing different sessions um, and providing feedback. But you've also, of course, been involved in the executive, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about that because the most important job on that executive is the program director position, which you've held for a number of years now. So uh, just uh, just uh, tell us a few things about that journey, and and specifically about the things that have come across your desk in in bringing programs together for a uh, for our SIG meeting every year.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I joined the SIG when I went to my first AERA meeting in 2004, and I've been a member ever since, and then later on became part of the executive committee. And as you said, really, the big job is the program chair or director, because you are putting together the conference entire program. And assigning reviewers and following up and making tough decisions sometimes and deciding how many are paper sessions versus round table and it gives you a, an excellent feel a feel for where the field is going in the future and i find that very exciting now normally the position is only 2 years but i sort of i don't know what happened got voted in for another 2 year term so um I'm really feeling comfortable in the position, but this year will be, I think will be my last year because then what happens is you rotate into the chair position. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that will happen. So I'll have the chair position for two times as well, too, which is a little unusual, but I really like doing the the program for the conference. As I said, it just gives me a good overview of what's happening right now, but into the near future. So I, I enjoy doing it
1: you know, when you were talking about that and such an important responsibility for the program director, but behind it are the faces of all of those people that put forward their submissions, you know, to the conference. And uh, uh, I was one of them many years ago, 2014, I reckon I put mine in and, uh, you know, waiting for that confirmation, whether you got accepted or not, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, Yeah. And uh, so uh, I know I know exactly how difficult that job is, and to get the balance, you know, for each um, each session, right, is important. So, uh, so, uh, but the. Um you know, each year the the conference, particularly for our SIG, has been really exciting, and the uh, research presented has been really, really uh, compelling. I was really interested in in sort of what you have seen, you know, over the years in terms of the focus of the research in learning environment. Have you seen any changes or um, uh, any additional things that perhaps you feel is exciting about the future of learning environments?
0: There seems to be more of an emphasis on mixed method studies. I mean, I said earlier that the backbone were the surveys and we still see use of a lot of the surveys, but now complementing them are are other data sources. And I think that's good because, you know, they can support each other. So I have seen that. Uh, Also, I mentioned the translation of surveys into other languages, for example, Arabic. So a continuation of The fact that the field of learning environments is really international and that countries want to use the surveys in their own language. I have seen that over the years, more of that. And then also, I would say, uh, and this is something that Barry Fraser mentioned as well, too, is more of an emphasis recently on the physical environment as part of the learning environment, even though there always was a scale or a construct in a lot of the surveys that talked about it, nobody kind of focused on that until the architects kind of came upon the field. And in fact, I did a couple of research studies with the architecture department at Morgan State University. And I really love when that transdisciplinary work happens, because then you've just got, you know, the different kinds of perspectives literally coming into one study, the architects, the educator, a social worker or whatever it may be. And that's very exciting. And, you know, as Barry mentioned, to make these magnificent buildings or learning spaces or active classrooms without any assessment just seems like, you know, the job is not quite done until we find out has that classroom, that building done, you know, what it was supposed to have, you know, be doing. And uh, so I hope more of that work will be taking you know place. And I, it seems to more and more of an emphasis. And, you know, now they sometimes instead of saying learning environments, it's learning spaces, but that's the influence from the, the architects. But I think that's all, Very good, we are talking about the same thing, is how can we improve learning?
1: I'm really interested in your thoughts around around that, obviously, the spaces that, that we'll see more and more research in that area. But I was interested in your thoughts around, you know, the, the change of generations. So the, the students that, we're, that are coming through now, if you like, um, in our learning environment, in my schools, um, their experience is very different. And in fact, it'd be interesting in a number of years when we do the research, having students who have been in this COVID environment as well. You know, h- how do you measure, you know, their perceptions more accurately and are the constructs that we're using really still valid in the tools that we perhaps have been using for the last 10-15 years. So it'll be interesting to see how research unfolds as a result of our clientele, our our students and our staff, if you like. Yeah, as you say, the the methods, uh, but also perhaps in the quantitative sense around the surveys about um, how they need to adapt to the here and now.
0: Yeah, and I think you make an excellent point, is that the surveys need to always be adapted or modified, which they Always have been, but now, you know, again with COVID 19, it's just so much in our face that we need to assess what is going on, you know, before COVID and during and after, and the move to remote emergency uh, teaching totally online. Now we got hybrid environments. I mean, it really kind of has made the learning environment very messy uh, mm-hmm. because now we've just got a whole mixture of all of those things going on. So it's a little more challenging to get one instrument to assess sort of those different flavors of the learning environment that just one student in one course may experience. Uh, But that's, again, the beauty of the field. I think it can adapt. It has adapted. Uh, There's definitely going to be some presentations at the AERA in San Diego in 2022, is coming up already that specifically looking at the impacts of COVID 19. So,
1: yeah, really excited and looking forward to those presentations and the research that's going to be presented. Um, Catherine, tell me a bit more. You know, over time, we've had. certain flavors. So for instance, I I know that you're interested in STEM, for instance, STEM education. And uh, so we've seen that these innovations um, over time, uh, where do you see us traveling, you know, in terms of the research moving forward? What are the flavors that are coming through um, in terms of research?
0: Well, I, I think there's still going to be an emphasis on the STEM learning environment because we continue to need more scientists and engineers in the career pipeline. So what can we do to get more students interested in those areas, uh, particularly for girls, young women in underrepresented groups? And I think that work will continue, just very much needed. Again, I do think this transdisciplinary blend from different disciplines will continue on in the future. And uh, then also something I've seen, I'm also the uh, associate co-editor for the Learning Environments Research Journal. And I'm seeing more articles coming in that are looking at, and this goes back to my roots, uh, the outdoor setting. How does nature improve learning? How does just taking a break from the classroom, maybe even just looking out the window at a few trees, how does that influence and hopefully improve learning? And I go, wow, yeah, that's where I started, you know, 35 years ago, giving walks in the forest. And that's where I personally learn best, getting all that those good oxygen molecules into my brain. So I have seen proposals there. So to take a look at learning environment back in the outdoors, you know, at forest schools or whatever it may be, to me, that is super, super exciting, also, I don't know if you've ever heard of forest bathing.
1: Forest bathing. That's interesting. Tell us more.
0: (laughs) Well, it's it's a term that the Japanese came up with, uh, but it's more or less going on a very slow nature walk. And rather than identifying every tree plant, it's more getting the sort of emotional uh, feeling from the forest that helps you, your whole overall well-being. I think there's some exciting potential to look at how, you know, forest bathing can influence and improve learning. And there are actually locally, I think there was a high school teacher that was looking at taking his students out. And I went, OK, that's really fascinating. Again, you know, I'm biased because it goes back to my roots of 35 years ago of really liking the outdoors learning environment and you know these things are always cyclic and now people have discovered you know forest bathing and how walking in the forest can improve your 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 thinking generally and i go well yeah
1: so <laughs> catherine um, you, you know you're spot on with um bringing that particular topic on because i think yeah you know, our um our focus in research is about student outcomes and better outcomes through improved learning environments, or certainly those areas in the learning environment that could improve. But one area that we are recognizing as absolutely important is, is well being, is people's well being, and that well being is really at the forefront of any potential. Uh, learning that needs to happen. So, it'd be interesting to see how the research goes in that area. But you're absolutely right there. I, I'm, I'm just wanted to steer because we're coming to the end of our podcast. But you know, the question about the future of the learning environment, SIG, and and I know we've had the hiccup with COVID. But you know, what are your hopes and aspirations for our SIG?
0: Well, I certainly hope that the SIG will continue to grow, and. I hope that we can get back to -to face-to-face conferences because that's how you get people excited. We need some more young scholars within the SIG, and I hope that we can continue to grow our our worldwide network because I just love, you know, these connections. And even though we can talk about learning environments from Australia to U.S. to Iceland, to Europe, to South America, there's commonalities, and that is just... Pretty exciting. I hope we can, you know, as I mentioned, the forest schools or just outdoor environments or seeing the connections with psychological well-being that that kind of research will go forward. You know, very is very innovative and innovative research is going to, I think, be the center of the field. I think I'm very confident to continue. It's just kind of. little bit.
1: Catherine, you know, um, you're keeping yourself very busy still, aren't you? You even finished uh, teaching at university, but you're keeping yourself very busy. You know, you're doing obviously some uh, work for uh, the Learning Environments Journal, but doing other things as well, still being a program director and then moving into the chair position. But what else for Catherine? What's happening in in the Catherine's world at the moment going forward? Just tell, tell us about that.
0: Well, I've always wanted to have my own business. So I have started an educational business. So I'm kind of an independent researcher, writer, editor, and grant evaluator all wrapped up into one. And my company is called Improve Teaching First. And of course, you can see right away how that would Nicely fit into the learning environments and developing an online course, then this would be for university college faculty so basically continue what I started at Morgan state uh, in faculty development so this course is called the innovative survey method, how to measure improvements in your teaching and learning environment. So, as you know, in college and university at the end of the course there's always an end of course student evaluation, and I don't know for me they. We're not very helpful. You just, okay, yeah, file them away, students have gone and nothing really happens. Well, I'm proposing using, it's again, Barry Fraser's method of comparing students' preferred learning environment or an ideal learning environment with what is actually happening and see if we can get those close together. That would be the method because... You know, what's the point of doing an assessment if you don't have sort of baseline and some knowledge of how to improve and using an appropriate learning environment survey could help faculty and certainly faculty, professors at colleges and universities. They need a lot of help (laughs) on on how to do this. So I'm hoping that I can uh, offer this course very soon.
1: Fantastic. Catherine, it was absolutely terrific speaking to you this afternoon. For us, it's just after midday South Australian time. For you, it would be late afternoon, the day before. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's very strange, isn't it? It's 6pm on my Monday, the day before. Yes, The day
1: before, yes. (laughs) But really, it's been a joy talking to you, Catherine, and uh, we're hoping to come together in April uh, in San Diego. Um, We're just keeping our fingers crossed that the Omicron variant will die forever (laughs) so we can travel uh, and to be there face to face. But thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon here. Uh, We are really, really um, excited about the work that you're doing and, and learning so much more about you. So, from us here. Thank you and um, enjoy the rest of the, the evening.
0: Thank you very much, Paul, and hopefully I will see you in person in the sunshine real soon.